Chapter Twenty Two of Clementina. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Clementina by A. E. W. Mason. Chapter Twenty Two. Clementina takes Mr. Wogan to visit the Caprara Palace. Wogan was guided through the streets to the mouth of a blind alley, at the bottom of which rose a high garden wall, and over the wall the smoking chimneys of a house, among the tops of many trees freshly green, which shivered in the breeze and shook the sunlight from their leaves. This alley, from the first day when the princess came to lodge in the house, had worn to Wogan a familiar air, and this morning as he pondered dismally whether, after all, those laborious months since he had ridden hopefully out of Bologna to Olau were to bear no fruit, he chanced to remember why. He had passed that alley at the moment of grey dawn when he was starting out upon this adventure, and he had seen a man muffled in a cloak step from its mouth and suddenly draw back as his horse's hoofs rang in the silent street, as though to elude recognition. Wogan wondered for a second who at that time had lived in the house, but he was admitted through a door in the wall and led into a little room with French windows opening on a lawn. The garden seen from here was a wealth of white blossoms and yellow, and amongst them Clementina paced alone, the richest and the whitest blossom of them all. She was dressed simply in a white gown of muslin and a little three-cornered hat of straw, but Wogan knew as he advanced towards her that it was not merely the hat which threw the dark shadow on her face. She took a step or two towards him and began at once without any friendly greeting in a cold, formal voice. "'You have received a letter this morning from His Majesty?' "'Yes, Your Highness.' "'Why does the King linger in Spain?' "'The expedition from Cadiz, which left harbour a week ago. "'Well, Mr. Wogan,' she asked in biting tones, "'how does that expedition now on the high seas detain His Majesty in Spain?' Wogan was utterly dumbfounded. He stood and gazed at her, a great trouble in his eyes, and his wits, with that expedition, all at sea. "'Is your highness sure?' he babbled. "'Oh, indeed, most sure,' she replied, with the hardest laugh which he had ever heard from a woman's lips. "'I did not know,' he said in dejection, and she took a step nearer to him, and her cheeks flamed. "'Is that the truth?' she asked, her voice trembling with anger. "'You did not know?' And Wogan understood that the real trouble with her at this moment was not so much the king's delay in Spain as a doubt whether he himself had played with her and spoken her false. For if he was proved untrue here, why, he might have been untrue throughout, on the stairway at Innsbruck, on the road to Allah, in the hut on the bluff of the hills.' He could see how harshly the doubt would buffet her pride, how it would wound her to the soul. "'It is the truth,' he answered. "'You will believe it. I pledge my soul upon it. Lay your hand in mine. I will repeat it standing so. Could I speak false with your hand close in mine?' He held out his hand. She did not move, nor did her attitude of distrust relent. "'Could you not?' she asked icily. Wogan was baffled. He was angered. "'Have I ever told you lies?' he asked passionately. And she answered, "'Yes,' and steadily looked him in the face. The monosyllable quenched him like a pail of cold water. He stood silent, perplexed, trying to remember. "'When?' he asked. 
"'In the Berlin between Brixen and Wellishmile.' Wogan remembered that he had told her of his city of dreams, but it was plainly not to that that she referred. He shrugged his shoulders. "'I cannot remember.' "'You told me of an attack made upon a Scottish town, what time the king was there in the year fifteen. He forced a passage through nine grenadiers with loaded muskets, and escaped over the rooftops, where he played a game of hide-and-seek among the chimneys. Ah, you remember the story now. There was a chain, I remember, which even then, as you told of it, puzzled me. He threw the chain over the head of one of those nine grenadiers, and, crossing his arms, jerked it tight about the man's neck, stifling his cry of warning. What chain, I asked, and you answered, oh, sir, with a practised readiness, the chain he wore about his neck. Do you remember that? The chain linked your hand-locks, Mr. Wogan. It was your own escape of which you told me. Why did you ascribe your exploits to your king? Your Highness, he said, we know the king, we who have served him day in and day out for years. We can say freely to each other, the king's achievements, they are to come. We were in Scotland with him, and we know they will not fail to come. But with you it's different. You did not know him. You asked what he had done, and I told you. You asked for more. You said, amongst his throng of adventurers, each of whom has something to his credit, what has he, the chief adventurer? Well, sir, why not the truth in answer to the question? Because the truth's unfair to him. And was the untruth fair to me? Mr. Wogan was silent. I think I understand, she continued bitterly. You thought, here's a foolish girl, a flame for knights and monsters overthrown. She cries for deeds, not statecraft. Well, out of your many, you would toss her one and call it the king's. You could afford the loss, and she, please God, would be content with it. She spoke with an extraordinary violence, in a low, trembling voice, and she would not listen to Wogan's stammered interruption. Very likely, too, the rest of your words to me was of a piece. I was a girl, and girls are to have gallant speeches given to them like so many lollipops. Oh, but you have hurt me beyond words. I would not have thought I could have suffered so much pain. That last cry wrung Wogan's heart. She turned away from him with the tears brimming in her eyes. It was this conjecture of hers which he had dreaded, which at all costs he must dispel. "'Do not believe it!' he exclaimed. "'Think! Should I have been at so much pains to refrain from speech if speech was what I had intended? How should I know but what that concealment was part of the gallantry, a necessary preface to the pretty speeches?' Should I have urged your rescue on the king had I believed you what you will have it that I did, a mere witless girl to be pampered with follies? Then you admit, she cried, you urged the king. Should I have travelled over Europe to search for a wife and lit on you? Should I have ridden to Olau and pestered your father till he yielded? Should I have ridden across Europe to Strasbourg? Should I have endangered my friends in the rush to Innsbruck? no 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 from first to last you were the chosen woman the vehemence and fire of sincerity with which he spoke had its effect on her she turned again towards him with a gleam of hopefulness in her face but midway in the turn she stopped you spoke to me words which i have not forgotten she said doubtfully you said the king had need of me i will be frank hoping that you will match my frankness 
on that morning when we climbed down the gorge and ever since i cheered myself with that one thought the king had need of me never was truer word spoken said wogan stoutly then why is the king in spain they had come back to the first question wogan had no new answer to it he said i do not know for a moment or two clementina searched his eyes it seemed in the end that she was satisfied he spoke the truth for she said in a voice of greater gentleness then i will acquaint you will you walk with me for half a mile wogan bowed and followed her out of the garden he could not think whither she was leading him or for what purpose she walked without a word to him he followed without a question and so pacing with much dignity they came to the steps of a great house then clementina halted sir said she can you put a name to the house upon my word your highness i cannot it is the caprara palace said she suddenly and suddenly she bent her eyes upon wogan the name however conveyed no meaning whatever to him and his blank face told her so clearly she nodded in a sort of approval no she said relenting you did not know she mounted the steps and knocking upon the door was admitted by an old broken serving-man who told her that the princess caprara was away it was permitted him however to show the many curiosities and treasures of the palace to such visitors as desired it clementina did desire it the old man led her and her companion to the armory where he was for spending much time and breath over the trophies which the distinguished general caprara had of old wrapped from the infidels but clementina quickly broke in upon his garrulity i have a great wish to see the picture gallery said she and the old man tottered onwards through many shrouded and darkened rooms in the picture gallery he drew up the blinds and then took a wand in his hand will you show me first the portrait of mademoiselle de caprara said clementina it was a full-length portrait painted with remarkable skill maria vittoria de caprara was represented in a black dress and the warm italian colouring of her face made a sort of glow in the dark picture her eyes watched you from the canvas with so lifelike a glance you had a thought when they turned that they turned after you clementina gazed at the picture for a long while and the blood slowly mounted on her neck and transfused her cheeks there is a face mr wogan a passionate beautiful face which might well set a seal upon a man's heart i do not wonder i can well believe that though to-day that face gladdens the streets of rome a lover in spain might see it through all the thick earth of the pyrenees there sir i promised to acquaint you why the king lingered in spain i have fulfilled that promise and making a present to the custodian she walked back through the rooms and down the steps to the street wogan followed her and pacing with much dignity they walked back to the little house among the trees and so came again into the garden of blossoms the anger had now gone from her face but it was replaced by a great weariness it is strange is it not she said with a faltering smile that on a spring morning beneath this sky amongst these flowers i should think with envy of the snows of innsbruck and my prison there but i owe you a reparation she added you said the king had need of me for that saying of yours i find an apt simile 
call it a stone on which you bade me set my foot and step i stepped and found that your stone was straw no madam cried wogan i had a thought she continued you knew the stone was straw when you commended it to me as stone but this morning i have learned my error i acquit you and ask your pardon you did not know that the king had no need of me and she bowed to him as though the conversation was at an end wogan however would not let her go he placed himself in front of her engrossed in his one thought she must marry the king he spoke however none the less with sincerity when he cried nor do i know now no and i shall not know you have walked with me to the caprara palace this morning or did i dream we walked what your highness has shown me to-day i cannot gainsay for this is the first time that ever i heard of mademoiselle de caprara but i am very sure that you draw your inference amiss you sit in judgment on the king not knowing him you push aside the firm trust of us who know him as a thing of no account and because once in a mood of remorse at my own presumption i ascribed one trivial exploit at the best a success of muscle and not brain to the king which was not his you strip him of all merit on the instant he saw that her face flushed here at all events he had hit the mark and he cried out with a ringing confidence your stone is stone not straw prove it me said she what do you know of the princess caprara at the end of it all you have told me this morning all you know i will go bail if the whole truth were out the matter would take a very different complexion again she said prove that to me and then she looked over his shoulder wogan turned and saw that a servant was coming from the house across the lawn with a letter on a salver the princess opened the letter and read it then she turned again to wogan his eminence the cardinal fixes the marriage in bologna here for to-day fortnight you have thus two weeks wherein to make your word good two weeks and wogan had not an idea in his head as to how he was to set about the business but he bowed imperturbably within two weeks i will convince your highness said he and for a good half-hour he sauntered with her about the garden before he took his leave. End of chapter 22